My name is Troy Dooley. As I said, I am the lead elder of the church. I sit on the board, and every now and then I get the opportunity to speak something that's on my heart. And today, this, this really is dear to my heart. Now, I want to ask a question about something that, that we know is one of history's greatest mysteries of all time. And it's something that so many times some of the greatest minds out there ponder this without truly understanding it. But listen to this. How is it that a first century cult, no, key in on that word for a second, birthed in the Roman Empire, whose leader was rejected by his own people and crucified, was able to survive and thrive in the face of violence that was organized by the state. Now, you can, you can think about some of the current history that we're going through, stuff that's happened in Afghanistan and, and your, uh, Ukraine and all that. You, you, you know that it gets really crazy out there. But how did this happen? Let me ask it a different way, because it, it may come out a little bit better this way. How did it come to pass that a Nazarene sect would eventually be embraced by the very empire that for three Hundred years sought to extinguish it. Sometimes we take this Christianity thing for granted. Hey, everybody else says I'm a Christian, so I'm going to say I'm a Christian too because that way I get a little bit of confirmation and I don't look in the outside crowd. Karen Armstrong, who wrote the book Field of Blood, says this, against all odds, by the third century, Christianity had become a force to be reckoned with. We still do not truly understand how this happened. Now, think about that. Do you know how it happened? I mean, truly know how it happens. One of the professors at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, Bart Ehrman, writes it this way in his book, Triumph of Christianity. How did a religion whose first believers were 20 or so illiterate day laborers in a remote part of the Roman Empire, how did they become the dominant religion of the West? Think about this. They convinced 30 million people in just four centuries to follow them. How did it happen? Here's the pat answer. The Bible tells me so. The Bible says it must be true. But does that work in the 21st century? See, this is the thing we've got to look at. What worked in the past may not work today. What worked in the past when you were a kid doesn't work when you're an adult. Bert Ehrman grew up like some of us, sitting in a church pew. Raised his hand. Said, I believe in, in Jesus. The Bible tells me so. Decided he'd go to seminary and become a preacher. Then he went to a mainstream university that ripped him apart. And he turned his back on the very religion that he said he believed in with his mind. And now teaches thousands of students a year why the New Testament can't be followed. See, no one denies that this happened. We're all sitting here this morning. We all live in a country that they say is a Christian country. But the question is, how did it happen? 
Here's how it happened. A man named Jesus who died on a cross and then rose from the dead. Now here's the problem that we all face because we're all alike. We're all humans. God made us this way. We've just gone through two years of people saying, follow the science, follow the science, follow the science. And yet Jesus defied all scientific laws and rose from the dead. And if I was to take a poll, I doubt that all of you would raise your hands in a normal sense. I'm not talking about, oh, yeah, I love Jesus. We're going to heaven. I'm talking about if you said, hey, I'm, I'm going to die and, and tomorrow I'm going to raise from the dead. Nobody believes that in this room. It happened once to a man named Jesus Christ. And see, that's the key right there. And that's what you've got to hone in on the rest of this message. As I move forward in this, I want you to hold on, hold on to that and think about Jesus Christ and the resurrection. But then you need to ask yourself a question deep inside. Do I truly believe that? Or do I think it's just a story handed down in the Bible from my mom and dad or my granny or my grandpa? Because that's going to be the defining moment in all of our lives. Peter wrote something that I think is very important that I think we need to look at. He says, but in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to defend to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do this with gentleness and reverence. Keep a clear conscience so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. Here's what we do. We want to go out there and say, well, I'm going to defend the Bible. That's not what that verse says. That first says you have to defend your faith. I'm not making light of the Bible. I've read it. I love it. I'm going through the Old Testament, and it's long. Okay? If you're new to Jesus, man, start in the New Testament. There's a lot of cool stuff in there. But listen to me for a minute. Most of you have a Bible app, or you've got your Bible, and you think this is the greatest thing, and everybody's told you it's the inspired Word of God, and it's awesome, and you think you can go defend it, and yet you haven't read it all. Here's the other part about this. This might shock you. Jesus didn't have a Bible. The Gentiles for sure didn't have anything. He came around like the 4th, 5th century. The Old Testament was called the prophets and the law. And the Jewish people, I mean, Jesus quotes this stuff all the time. So we know it was legit for them. The Gentiles didn't have that. What they had was a bunch of little pieces of paper because the Roman Empire said, uh, we're going to burn this crap. This is part of the whole reason that we can't get rid of this is because they've got all this literature floating around. So we've got to burn it. We've got to find it. And it all went underground. So that begs the question, how did this sect, this cult, how did this outlaw and his band of merry men revolutionize the world? That's the key. And the question is, do you have enough faith to believe the eyewitnesses? Because if you do, listen, here's what Jesus says to some of the eyewitnesses. This is in Mark. See, we are going to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles 
and they will mock him, spit on him, flog him, kill him, and he will raise again in three days. Now, the interesting thing there is, this happened all before Jesus was crucified. In other words, he predicted his own death. But here's where the movement truly began. And here's what makes this different than anything else. See, some of you may not study the history. You may not care. You may have a lot more faith than I've got, and I'm cool with that. But there were a lot of messiahs prior to Jesus. And there's been a boatload of messiahs after that. Just in America, there have been men that said, I am the one. Now there's one in Australia. But Jesus is the only one that didn't stay dead. If you guys look right now, this is, this is the interesting part because you have to have empirical evidence. That's just human nature. Oh, i got to have somebody. Who's an eyewitness out there? Who, who can tell me this? I was born in 1964. My great-grandma was about 89 years old. I'm, with when I, I'm within that 100-year span of the Civil War. Most of you know my, my family's an outlaw family. Listen to me. I would sit on her lap, and she would tell me what a great guy Jesse and Frank James was. Because she was their aunt. And I got to hear all the stories about Jesse. When I grew up and played cowboys and Indians, I was Jesse James. And it was awesome. I was within that span. Let's bring it current. Some of you were born after 9-11. And it's the eyewitnesses that can remember exactly where they were when they watched those buildings fall who tell you exactly what happened. See, the eyewitnesses are where we get the empirical evidence of what we need. And here's these guys cruising around with Jesus who didn't even like each other, to be quite honest. And if it was Matthew, who was the mathematician of the bunch, he's probably flipping in his brain saying, let's do the odds here. This is not very good. We are going to die. Nobody likes new, new movements. Nobody likes this stuff. If Jesus is going to die, what's Sam Hill's going to happen to us? And yet, these guys went on to write eyewitness accounts on this. This is amazing. But here's even a cooler part. Do you actually realize why the political and religious people hated him so much? His message was one of love. His message... This is what his message did. Jesus taught a way of kingdom of the heart. He wasn't talking about conquer anything. This is why the zealots didn't like him. They were expecting the Messiah because a lot of the Messiahs prior to Jesus, they were warriors. They were ready to come and fight. Zealots were ready to fight for their cause. Some, you, you could look at a zealot and, and they could be the extreme of today. They could be seen as a terrorist or they could be seen as an extreme racist. We're going to annihilate all these people that are doing it. We are the kings. We are the Jewish people. We are the chosen. And here's Jesus talking about love. They were not going down that path. Roman Empire wasn't going to go down that path at all. It was all about sex and fun and drugs and do whatever. It was all this pretty party stuff. And anybody they conquered was a subject. Women had no rights. Women were good for a couple things. Babies didn't have no rights, whether they were born of a Roman citizen or not. Herod the Great, in history, not in the Bible, 
is known for slaughtering babies. No one back then cared about the human race. It was dog eat dog, the strong survive. And yet here comes this guy out of a podunk little town. Judea was known as the armpit of the Roman Empire. And unlike my armpits, because I'm sweating, it was a dry, ugly place. And yet here comes Jesus with this crew. And these people don't know how to react to him. Main Street loved him. They were saying, finally, there's something here. Finally, we can hang out with him. And if you're sitting here today wondering, "Ah, I don't know about this Jesus stuff. I mean, to me, it's still in the the Bible is just a made up deal. Troy, I've Googled everything. I know I know the truth. I've been on YouTube. I got it. He's the kind of person that, that would hang out with you. See, Jesus didn't hang out with a bunch of pompous people. Jesus hung out with the worst people in society. Hookers, loose women, fornicators, organized crime figures. They call them tax collectors, but if you study that, you'll know why. He hung out with people that had diseases that were contagious, and he touched them. And the Jewish people would say, this is not, there's no way you're God because God tells us not to do this. We're supposed to push all these people aside and they're not important. And yet he said, I came to change the world. I came to do something different. So they tried to trick him. And they said, well, what is it that we have to do then if we want to go to heaven? If you're God, tell us what we are supposed to do. Here's what he says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. I want you to look at that for a second. Nowhere does it say, just say, I do. It doesn't say his mouth. It says heart, soul, strength, and mind. And love your neighbors as yourself. This was totally backwards. Because these people hated each other. Jews hated the Romans, Romans hated the Jews, Samaritans didn't like the Jews. This was a cluster. And Jesus is saying, we're supposed to love everybody? What? I mean, no, we're not going to do that. And then this is the best part. Actually, this is the, this, I love this. Then he says, but I say to you, listen, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. That's just a mic. That was so backwards to then. And yet, let's go back to the original question. How did the Christianity cult, the sect, the movement, how did it survive with everything against it? And again, for those who call themselves Christians, what we like to say is the Bible tells me so. And yet, these first century believers, these apprentices, of Jesus, the apprentice of what was known as the way. They didn't have no Bible. They had eyewitnesses. They were looking at the eyewitness accounts of Jesus. Eyewitnesses that walked it, talked it, wrote about it all within a hundred years of his death. And it's still permeates into the 21st century. 
Think about that for a second, guys. Because if you can't love Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you can't believe he rose from the dead, then your time in here is just a waste. All it does is make you feel good so you don't feel condemned. But Jesus didn't come to condemn. He did come to convict us. He did come because he wants us to understand what his love is about. He wants to understand that he flipped this whole doggone thing upside down. All we have to do, listen, this is all he asks us to do. Love God, love your neighbor, love yourself. And here's where it probably gets hard for all of you. Because it sure the heck got hard for me. If I got to love myself, then I'm probably not going to love my neighbor. Because I got so much shame and self-condemnation. And I've done more things than probably most people in here have done, except for a couple that I hang out with. I've got a family that's so mixed up that if you take some of the Bible, it, it literally, I shouldn't even be on this stage because I can't control my family at all. And yet Jesus says, I want you to love God, love your neighbor, and love yourself. And here's the kicker. You don't have to start with loving God. The one thing we learn about Jesus is he went to where the people were at, not where he wanted them to go. If you reach out to God right now, and, and, and I'm, I'm used to, I mean, I, I, look, if I want to feel close to my wife, I go to the beach. If I want, to, I want to feel close to God, I'll go to the beach. I'll go to the woods. I've got a little hiding place that only my six-year-old granddaughter knows about. And I'll go back in the woods, and I'll hang out by myself. And I'll say, Pops, I need some help. I didn't know my biological dad. That's a whole different story, and we can't talk about it here. I can tell it privately. And my adoptive dad only adopted me, I think, because he wanted to make sure my mom and him could hang out and stay together because he never showed me any love either. So I already had daddy issues when I got saved and probably handed daddy issues down to my boys and my daughters and everything else. But here's what I know. When I finally got it, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. It didn't stop on the cross. I wear a cross. My kids wear crosses. We all love crosses. We all tell, oh, Jesus died for us on the cross. I'm not making light of that, but if he had just died, it wouldn't happen. We'd be gone. There'd be no movement. They all disbelieved him. He told them in the garden before this happened, hey, come hang out with me and pray so that you guys will have strength for what's about to happen. And what'd they do? They went to sleep. Then they woke up and said, holy, holy, whatever they said, okay? Peter, as he's out of the, I mean, Peter's getting ready to cruise out, but pulls the knife, chops the ear off real quick. But then they all roll. And then Peter, who's supposed to be, hey, I'm, I'm your guy. I'm here to the end. Here's what Peter does. <laughs> I don't know that dude. No, that wasn't me. That's probably somebody else. I mean, we all look alike. We got long hair. We're dirty. We hang out in dirty clay. That wasn't me denied the very man that he actually had said with his mouth, oh, I believe you're the son of God. He acts just like us. And that's who Jesus hung out with. Bart, Thurm, Bart Ehrman, I'll get it right, who's a professor at North Carolina Chapel Hill. He writes it like this, and I think this is so good, because if, if the major agnostics of our day don't understand this, but yet they know that it happened. We know we got something special. Christianity not overtook over the empire. It radically altered the lives of those living in it 
It was a revolution that affected government practices. Legislation, art, literature, music, philosophy, and on an even more fundamental level, the very understanding that billions of people have about what it means to be human. Now think about this for a minute. We want empirical evidence. Why were we in Afghanistan? I'm not talking about a political answer. We knew that there were people over there hurting and it wasn't right. Matter of fact, Russia spent some time over there. Same reason. Why is it that we think it's bad for Russia to invade Ukraine? Think about this for a minute. I mean, who made up the rules? Who decided that? Who, who decided that it was not cool, that it's some crime for the Rome, not the Romans, for the Russians to purportedly kill babies and rape women? Who, who makes up the rules? Why is that so bad? Why do black lives matter? Why do blue lives matter? Why do all lives matter? Why do you get in a tizzy because some girl's in a sex trade? Why do you care that there's babies coming across the border? Because, as Bart says, and here's what he writes, however, however one evaluates the merits of the case, no one can deny that it was the most monumental cultural transformation of the world in our time. All of a sudden, conquering other people, conquering humans, putting babies out to fry, which is what the Romans did. Hey, wrapping people up. If you live in the South, you've heard about tars and feather. Well, they didn't feather them. They just tarred them, wrapped them up, put them up as, a, as torches so that when they were all going into the Colosseum to have fun, they'd light them. That was the world at those days. Not just in Rome. It was in Europe. It was everywhere. Where there was no Christianity, it was survival of the fittest. The strong survive, the weak die. Until one thing happened. The resurrection. The resurrection sent shockwaves through the Jewish culture, through the Roman culture, through the European culture. And it wasn't because of a Bible. It was because of an event. If the resurrection had never happened, Jesus would just be another has-been dying on a cross. But see, you have to understand something that's very, very important. He died for you, and he rose again for you, and he didn't have to do any of that. He could have said no. That's for a whole nother sermon. He could have said no. Luke writes it this way, and I think this is so good, because even the first century believers wanted evidence. Luke writes, many have... Many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word, which was Jesus, handed them down to us. So it also seems good to me, since I have carefully investigated everything from the very first, to write to you in an orderly sequence, most honorable, look, I'm going to call him Theo because I can't pronounce that word, okay, so that you may know with certainty. 
of the things in which you've been instructed. Theo was a Christian. But just like most of us, he was pondering the belief. Did it really happen? Because I I didn't see it. Are, Are we sure that it happened? If you don't know about Luke, Luke hung out with Paul. And Paul was the most notorious executioner of Christians. His whole life was like some of my uncles. I mean, he thrived on killing people that were coming against the family. He saw it as a positive thing. He actually thought he was doing it for God. And he was the last eyewitness. But how many eyewitnesses do you need? Maybe that's another question. I think the, the, newest, the newest sensation right now in social media is the Johnny Depp trial. And they keep bringing in more witnesses and more witnesses and more witnesses. How many witnesses do you need to know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the only way to heaven, rose from the dead, How many eyewitnesses do you need to believe that Jesus was captured, stripped buck naked, filleted, beat, stomped, humiliated, put on a cross, stabbed, and before he died, hanging naked? With his mom at his feet, he says these words. Forgive them. They know not what they do. We talk all the time. You better walk your walk. In some of the places that I've hung out, if you didn't walk your walk, you'd get stomped. Jesus walked his walk all the way to the end. And to put it even more perspective, without going into a lot of detail... When your body finally gives up the ghost and dies, every muscle in your body releases. And his mom was at the bottom of that cross seeing this. She may have been the only last breathing believer at that single moment because of what she had seen before he was even born. And that's why. I love Jesus Christ. Is because once I realized for sure. I knew. Didn't happen overnight. Didn't happen in a church service. But I knew if I could just get enough evidence. This is the evidence. Jesus appeared to over 500 people. And my math is probably not correct. But here's what is correct. That wasn't all at once. That was spread out over 12 different occasions over 40 days. Think about that. How many eyewitnesses do you need? I want to go to that next slide. We have to stop arguing about the Bible and start defending our faith. I spoke in the first service because a lot of people haven't read the whole Bible, and I can't see, so I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. But I did use this as a, as a, a word picture because it's in the Bible. If I went to Paige, who's my lovely wife, who's a best-selling romance writer and has got an IQ of 140, and I told her, honey, God just spoke to me, 
And as I'm speaking to her, I'm getting naked. Please don't think about that for a second. Just, just listen to me. I'm getting naked because God just told me I need to be naked for three years running around. What do you think is going to happen? But that's what he told Isaiah. I want you buck naked running around the countryside for three years. Oh, yeah. Or, or it gets even better. If I went to her and said, honey, I bought these new underwear. I've worn them just a couple times. We're still good, okay. But God told me to go hide them in the neighborhood until further notice. And, and he's going to tell me who to give them to. And that's what he told Jeremiah. Do you really want to be sitting around talking to this and, and trying to defend God's actions when you weren't there? Okay. I mean, you talk about crazy. You'd be, they'd be Baker acting you. Okay. That isn't going to work. But if you're sitting down with somebody and you're sharing your story about why you believe that Jesus Christ not only walked this earth, but rose again and is the only way to heaven. First of all, people can't argue that statement. That's your, that's your story. That, you own that. And some of you who love the Lord can easily sit around whining with your buddies over a beer, whining over a, a glass of wine if you're the ladies, dropping F-bombs, talking about all kinds of garbage that happens in the world. And when somebody says, why do you believe Jesus? The Bible tells me so. That's it. And that is just garbage. It isn't about watching some TV preacher sitting in a church, feeling all emotional, and somebody says, just raise your hand and tell Jesus that you love him. We believe that you've been saved. That's not what it says. We've got to remember that. Let's go back to the witnesses for a minute. Here's what Paul wrote. Who, remember, loved to execute the Christians. Here's what he writes. For I pass on to you as most important what I also received. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he rose, well, that he was raised from the, on the third day according to scriptures. And that he appeared, now this is where it gets so good, okay, to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appears to over 500, see that's where my mask screws up because that's 513 right there, okay. Then, but get this, some of them are still alive. Remember what I said about my granny? She was still alive almost 100 years after the Civil War and could tell me, hey, man, Jesse was cool. Doesn't matter what the history is going to say because, you know, those northern guys, they, they won, so they changed the history. And, and we all know history never gets changed at all. Okay, but he goes on and he writes this. Then he appears to James, then to the apostles, and last of all, the one that was born at the wrong time, he appeared to me. Paul, whose original name was Saul, hated Christians until Jesus stops him in the middle of the road and says, Bro, what's going on? What the Sam Hill are you doing? 
And that was a defining moment for Paul. James was Jesus' brother. And for 33 and a half years, didn't believe. I, a matter of fact, this is not in the Bible. This is where Troy's taking creative liberty. Okay, I can see him telling his mom, I told you. I mean, you want this to happen to us? Stop saying that the Holy Spirit and you did the wiggle deal. No. Okay, this was not right. Mom, you can't say that. He's dead. But then Jesus appears to his brother and James became a believer. How many eyewitnesses do you need to believe? And This is why I say it's not the Bible that you need to be defending. It's your story. And this may, this may freak you out because I, I want it to. I want you to think this through. Nothing that I've shared says you have to believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. I do. I'll make that clear. But it wasn't there in the beginning. They didn't have anything. They had a bunch of scriptures called the law that Jesus said, nah, that's over. And they had a bunch of stories about running around naked and getting rid of your underwear. The Gentiles didn't even have that. They had letters from Paul. Because as passionate as he was at killing Christians, he became even more passionate about making sure they knew Jesus Christ was our Lord and Savior and had risen from the dead. And that is why that book called the Bible is so important today. And if you're here and you're not even sure about this Jesus thing still, and you're like, that dude is no preacher I've ever seen before. Start in the New Testament. And read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Read Paul's writings. Because, see, you only need to believe the eyewitness accounts and the rest will come. It's not about just, okay, I'm going to love God, I'm going to love God. I've got a dear friend of mine, and we have been on a journey for two decades. He is a legitimate, certified, where's the robe, warlock. And not the biker kind. He is in the cult. His wife is a witch. The first time she touched Paige's hand, her hand flew back. She said, there's something special about you. But he's so scared, he's going to die and go to hell. But he had never read the New Testament. The Christians in his life read the Old Testament. Stone the witches, kill the witches, don't hang out with witches. He was freaking out. Until he learned, Jesus loves everybody. So let's start on this journey where you're at, not where I'm at. I want to read a very important verse. Going back to what I said a minute ago about it's not about just saying, oh, yes, I feel it. Oh, hallelujah. I was at a Bon Jovi concert. Jesus came down. It's not about that, okay? Here's what the verse says, okay? If you confess with your mouth, comma, it's not a period, comma, that Jesus is Lord, comma. I'll tell you why that's so important in a minute. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. It's, look, that's going to freak some of you Jesus church people out. It's not about the cross. That was the start. And if it had ended, we'd be somewhere, they'd be showing a movie in here right now. 
He rose from the dead. And that's what this verse says. You have to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And then you will be saved. And we want to argue about the Bible. We want to, Yuri's going to be preaching this coming up pretty soon on a different, a different topic. But we want, to, we want to point fingers at all these Christians that fall off their freaking pedestal. And you don't want to worry about your own soul. You don't want to worry about this generation. Listen to me. I don't care if you're, if you're on the internet, if you're here, if you're in the lobby. Listen to me. We hold in our hands the actual belief in, of this next generation. If we're running around here saying it's in the Bible, I got you this kid's edition, you're going to love it. And we don't even know inside because we can't defend our own faith. They're going to go to hell. And it's going to be your fault. I, can't, I, I mean, that's what it is. I've got three of my older boys. i got great kids. Okay? And if those three older boys would put, put their life in order, they'd be, they'd be rocking it. Instead, they figured, hey, why do we got to do all the work Dad did to be an entrepreneur? Uh, there's a better route we can go. And they've been in prison or are in prison. Now, here, here's, here's the deal. I gave them everything they need. They can't come back on me and say, we didn't know that Jesus was the Lord and Savior. Because they saw the transformation <laughs> in my life. And I'm not perfect. Jetty, who some of you know, has seen his daddy speak in tongues, and they weren't from the Bible. Okay? It was a road rage incident on the Mid-Bay Bridge, and I made sure the whole traffic on both sides stopped. I'm not perfect. But by the time we got done with the highway patrol, here's what I did do. Son, son, I'm sorry. I thought that was all gone. See, unlike my boys, I didn't go to jail for alcohol, drugs, or anything related to that. But I have an anger that roared in me for so long that every charge I ever faced had to do with violence, whether that was a vehicle, a weapon, or my hands. And it's not something I'm proud of. But I lived it. And Jesus forgave me. He didn't tell me I had to do all this crap except three things. Love God, love your neighbor, and love yourself. And Troy, I'll help you love yourself. I still don't know why I got all my kids or why my wife married me. But God had a plan. And that's the key. I want, to watch, I want you to watch this video. This is my six-year-old granddaughter's favorites. I want you to watch it. And I'm going to come up and ask one last question. You know, I grew up in around church, basically because of my mom. My dad would go to church, and he was still working 
the wrong side of the tracks, so to speak. So I didn't believe anything they said about Jesus. I didn't believe many of the church people about Jesus. I had to go on a quest of my own. And since my lowest time in life, I've read over 47 books, not counting the 66 in the Bible, from some of the most famous agnostics, scholars, theologians, debaters from the first century to now. I've watched thousands of videos, listened to podcasts, even shared the stage with some pretty powerful agnostics. And after all of that, digging all the way across both sides because I wasn't looking for some confirmation bias. I wanted to know in my heart that I could believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins and rose again so I could be with him. I wanted to believe that as much as I believe my love for my wife and my kids. And when I found that out, I knew that it, it, I didn't have to be perfect. If Peter could deny Jesus and then Jesus built the church on him, I got a chance. So I don't want you raising your hands. I don't want, I don't want you standing up. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to dig deep in your gut. And I want you to say to God, my pops, I don't know if this is legit or not, but I'm willing to go on the journey. And if you can help me love myself, teach me to love you, teach me to love my neighbors, and teach me how not to rip the neck off of some tourist that just got in front of me on 98. God, if you can help me, I want that. I want this loneliness. I want this pain. I want this depression. I want this crap to go away. I want this drive for success, this drive for money, this drive to be known. I want it to go away. I just want to be known as some nobody that loves you and believes in you. Amen. He'll show up where you're at. Thank you, guys.